After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz in Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth, Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Asrihil Aziz stated, The incident of the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala was mentioned in the previous sermon and some further details remain to be mentioned in this regard. From the narration that I presented from Sahih Bukhari, it appears that the Fajr prayer was offered at the time Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala was attacked. Furthermore, it is also mentioned that he was present in the mosque at the time. However, in another narration we find that Hazrat Umar was immediately rushed home and that the prayer was offered later. In this regard, the commentator of Sahih Bukhari, Alama ibn Hajar, has added another narration under this hadith and has written that Hazrat ibn Abbas stated, that when Hazrat Umar started to bleed profusely and he became unconscious, I carried him with the help of a few other individuals and took him home. And Hazrat Umar remained unconscious until daylight was visible. And when he regained consciousness, he looked in our direction and asked that have the people offered their prayer. To this I replied that yes, they have. Upon this, Hazrat Umar has stated that the person who disregards their prayer is not a true follower of Islam. Hazrat Umar then performed ablution and offered his prayers. And the same is stated in the Tabqatul Kubra that Hazrat Umar was carried to his home and that Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf led the prayers. It is also mentioned that Hazrat Abdul Rahman recited the two shortest surahs, i.e., chapters of the Holy Quran that is Surah Al-Asr and Surah Al-Qusr. And at another place it is stated that he recited Surah Al-Asr and Surah Al-Kafirun. Then mentioning the assassin of Hazrat Umar anhu, it is written in the Tabqat Al-Kubra that when Hazrat Umar was attacked, 
He said to Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas that go and find out who tried to assassinate me. Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas says that I left and when I opened the door of the house, I saw a crowd of people who were unaware of Hazrat Umar anhu's condition. And I asked that who attacked Hazrat Amir al-Mu'mineen with a dagger. To this they replied that the enemy of Allah and the slave of Mughira bin Shoba, Abu Lolo, had stabbed him and that he had wounded others as well. But when he was caught, he used the same dagger to take his own life. Then in regards to whether the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar was the result of a conspiracy or due to the personal enmity harboured by this individual, some of the later historians have written that the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar was not merely due to an individual's personal enmity towards him, rather it was a conspiracy. But in any case, we will read their opinions on this matter as well. In relation to how a brave Khalifa such as Hazrat Umar was martyred, we usually find that historians and biographers remain silent after detailing the incidents of the martyrdom and the impression is left that Abu Lolo Firoz assassinated Hazrat Umar due to a momentary rage and anger. However, some of the contemporary historians and biographers have analysed this particular incident with great detail and they say that this could not have been an act of vengeance resulting from the rage of a single individual. Rather, it was a conspiracy and that Hazrat Umar was assassinated through a pre-planned scheme. And also, that the renowned Persian commander Hormuzan, who was living in Medina and appeared to be a Muslim, was also part of this conspiracy. Modern-day writers have questioned prior historians and biographers as to why they have not discussed this killing in detail as being a plot or a conspiracy. Albeit, there is one important book of history called Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya, in which it is only mentioned that Hurmzan and Jufana were suspected to be involved in the killing of Hazrat Umar radiallahu Hence, it is due to this uncertainty that biographers of Hazrat Umar have considered it to have been as a result of a conspiracy or a plot. One of these writers is Muhammad Raza Sahib. He writes in his book, Sirat Umar Farooq, that Hazrat Umar never permitted adult prisoners to enter Medina until Hazrat Mughira bin Shoba, who was the governor of Kufa, wrote a letter to Hazrat Umar in which he stated that he had a very skilled slave and he sought permission for him to come to Medina. Hazrat 
Hazrat Murira bin Shoba also stated that he was experienced in many fields of work and was therefore of benefit to the people. He was a blacksmith, craftsman and a carpenter. Hazrat Umar then wrote to Hazrat Murira, permitting him to send him to Medina. Hazrat Murira placed a monthly tax of a hundred dirhams upon him. And so he went to Hazrat Umar and complained about the tax being too high. Hazrat Umar asked what work he could proficiently do. And in response, he informed Hazrat Umar which tasks he was skilled in. Hazrat Umar stated that the tax placed on him was not higher than the works he was skilled in. Following this, he departed whilst angry at Hazrat Umar Hazrat Umar then waited a few days and one day the same slave passed by him. And so he called him and said, I have heard that you make a really good wind-powered millstone. This slave turned his attention to Hazrat Umar in a state of anger and displeasure and stated that I shall make such a millstone for you that people will continue to talk about. When the slave turned away, Hazrat Umar turned to his companions and stated that this slave had just threatened him. A few days passed and Abu Lolo hid a double-edged dagger in his cloth, the handle of which was in the middle, and attacked Hazrat Umar as has been mentioned in the incident regarding the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar and one strike landed below his navel. In one sense, Abu Lolo held malice and spite for Hazrat Umar as the Arabs had conquered their land, enslaved him and caused his king to flee the country humiliated. And whenever he would see young slaves, he would go to them and stroke their heads and emotionally say, that the Arabs had destroyed their future generation. When Abu Lolo made the resolve to kill Hazrat Umar he very diligently crafted the double-edged dagger. He then sharpened it and covered it with poison. He then took it to Hurmzan and asked what he thought about the dagger. To this, he replied that I believe it will kill whoever you strike it with. Hurmazan was among the commanders of the Persians and he was captured by the Muslims in Tustar and sent to Medina. When he saw Hazrat Umar he inquired about the whereabouts of his guards and gatekeepers as has been mentioned before. The companions, may Allah be pleased with them, answered that he had no guard, gatekeeper, secretary or a treasurer. Upon this, Hurmazan stated that he ought to be a prophet. Nevertheless, Hurumzan later became a Muslim and Hazrat Umar appointed 2,000 dirhams for him and also gave him a place to reside in Medina. In Tabqat ibn Sa'd, there is a narration on the authority of Nafi which states that Hazrat Abdul Rahman had seen the knife used to martyr Hazrat Umar. He stated that he saw the knife in the possession of Hurumzan and Jufaina and asked them what they used it for. They replied that they used it to cut meat because they do not touch the meat with their hands. Upon this, Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar asked Hazrat Abdul Rahman if he had in fact seen the knife in the possession of these two men. He replied in the affirmative and upon this Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar took up his sword 
and kill both of them. Hazrat Usman radiallahu then called for Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar. And when he arrived, Hazrat Usman asked him what had incited him to kill the two individuals whilst they were living under the oath of their protection. Upon hearing this, Hazrat Ubaidullah threw Hazrat Usman radiallahu to the ground, at which point others arrived to protect Hazrat Usman from Hazrat Ubaidullah. When Hazrat Usman radiallahu had called for him, Hazrat Ubaidullah had placed his sword in its sheath. However, Hazrat Abdul Rahman strictly demanded him to remove his sword altogether, which he did so. This is one narration that I have just mentioned in reference to Hazrat Usman radiallahu and Allah knows better to what extent it is true and authentic. But in any case, the mention of this killing has been recorded in other narrations as well. Sayyid bin Musayyib narrates that when Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala was martyred, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr said that he passed by the killer of Hazrat Umar, i.e. Abu Lolo, and he was whispering in the company of Jufana and Hurmzan. When he suddenly went to them, they both took to their feet and fled, dropping a dagger in their haste. It was a double-edged dagger with a handle in between. He then told them to examine the dagger with which Hazrat Umar radiallahu was martyred. Upon observing it, the dagger was identical to what was described by Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr. When Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar heard this from Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr, he set out with his sword and called out for Hurmzan. When Hurmzan came out, Hazrat Abdullah took him to see their horses, and meanwhile he moved behind him. When Hurmzan was walking in front of him, Hazrat Ubaidullah attacked him with his sword. Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar stated that as soon as Hurmzan felt the force of his blade, he proclaimed, There is none worthy of worship except Allah. Hazrat Ubaidullah also stated that he called upon Jufana, who was a Christian from Hira, and was sent to Medina as a helper of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas to establish reconciliation between them. Jufana used to teach the art of scribing in Medina. And when Hazrat Ubaidullah attacked him with his sword, he drew the symbol of a cross before his eyes. Then Hazrat Ubaidullah went on to kill the daughter of Abu Lolo, who claimed to be a Muslim. That day, it was Hazrat Ubaidullah's intention to kill all the prisoners in Medina. The Mahajirin stood against him and tried to stop him and rebuked him. But he swore by Allah that he would kill all the prisoners and he ignored the Muhajireen to the point where Hazrat Amr bin Alas continued to reason with him until he finally surrendered his sword to Hazrat Amr bin Alas. Then when Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas came, they both took hold of each other from their forelocks. But in any case, Hurmazan, Jufana and the daughter of Abu Lolo were killed. This whole matter is presented to argue the fact that Abu Lolo was incited to kill Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala and that all the narrations prove that the killing of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala was indeed pre-planned. This is what is recorded by those who believe that this was as a result of a conspiracy or a plot. Hurmazan planned to exploit Abu Lolo's enmity for Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala and further fuel the fire. 
They were both non-Arabs, and on top of that, when Hurmuzan was imprisoned and sent to Medina, he accepted Islam in fear that the Khalifa would have him killed. In the narration of Nafi, which is recorded in Tabakat ibn Sa'd, it is stated that Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Awf had seen the blade with which Hazrat Umar anhu was martyred. And in the narration of Sayyid bin Musayyib, which is recorded in At-Tabari, it is stated that Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr had seen the dagger, and when he suddenly approached Abu Lolo, Jufaina and Hurmzan, which caused them to run away, the dagger dropped from them. When Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar was informed of this by Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr, he immediately went and killed both of them, and he became so consumed by vengeance that he also killed the daughter of Abu Lolo. And the dagger described by Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr was the exact same dagger used to martyr Hazrat Umar If Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar had not acted in haste, there may have been a chance that the culprits would be brought forth for questioning and through this investigation, their scheme and plot would come to light. And if all these factors are considered, the fact that this was a premeditated plan is as clear as day. And the one to carry out this plot to its completion and murder Hazrat Umar was Abu Lolo. This is what is claimed by those who believe that this was a conspiracy to kill Hazrat Umar Similarly, Dr. Muhammad Hussain Haikal, who is another historian, writes in his book that ever since the Muslims were able to overcome the Iranians and Christians and took the reins of governing their nations and forced the Persian emperor to flee after defeating him, the Iranians, Jews and Christians were all harbouring sentiments of malice and rancour in their hearts for the Arabs in general, but specifically for Hazrat Umar And even at that time, people had mentioned this malice and rancour, and when they had found out that Abu Lolo, who attacked Hazrat Umar was Iranian, they recounted the time when Hazrat Umar stated, that I had stopped you from dragging any faithless person into our home. However, you did not pay heed to my words. The population of these non-Arabs and faithless people in Medina was very small, yet there remained a small following of people whose hearts were brimming with anger and vengeance and whose bosoms were raging with a fire of malice and rancour. Thus, who knows, perhaps these people conspired together and Abu Lolo acted in accordance with the plan hashed by these enemies of Islam to satiate their thirst for expressing their malice and enmity. And they had thought that by doing so, they could shatter the unity of the Arabs into pieces, thereby weakening the strength of the Muslims. The sons of Hazrat Umar were very restless to uncover the truth and they could have got to the bottom of the matter and uncovered the secret if Abu Lolo Firoz had not committed suicide. However, by committing suicide, he took this secret to his grave. But did this end the matter once and for all, leaving no other way of uncovering it? This historian, who believed that this was all a scheme, he further writes that on the contrary, destiny so decreed 
that an Arab leader would learn of this scheme and bring it to light. When Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf saw the blade with which Hazrat Umar anhu was martyred, he stated that he had seen that very blade the day before in the possession of Hurumzan and Jufena. And upon this, he asked them what they would use this blade for. And they replied that they would use it to cut meat because they do not touch meat with their hands. Then Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr stated that when he passed by the killer of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Lolo, he saw that Jufana and Hurumzan were secretly conversing with him. And when he suddenly approached them, they fled, at which time a dagger fell between them. The dagger had two blades with a handle in the middle. Upon this, he stated that examine the dagger used to martyr Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When people saw the dagger, they realized that it was the very same dagger described by Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr. The historian further writes that as a result, there remained no doubt that both testimonies proved to be true and were in fact the most reliable from among the Muslims. They testified that the knife used to martyr Hazrat Umar was in the possession of Hurumzan and Jufena. One of the witnesses stated that before Abu Lulu committed the murder, he saw him plotting with the other two, and according to both witnesses, this all happened on the night before Hazrat Umar radiallahu was attacked in the morning. In light of this, is there any doubt that the leader of the faithful was the victim of a conspiracy that was spearheaded by these three people? It is also possible that there were other Iranians or people from other nations that were conquered by the Muslims who were also part of this conspiracy. When Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar heard the testimonies of Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf and Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr, he perceived the entire world to be covered in blood. In his heart, he was convinced that every resident of Medina who had come from a foreign land was a part of this conspiracy and that they all had blood in their hands. He immediately took his sword and first killed Hurumzan and then Jufaina and it is narrated that he called out to Hurumzan and when he came outside, he asked him to take a look at his horse and then moved aside. As Hurumzan passed by him, he struck him with his sword. When the Iranian realized that there was an attack, he proclaimed, there is no God but Allah and then fell to the ground. It is also narrated that Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Umar, who was the son of Hazrat Umar anhu, stated, that then I called upon Jufaina, who was a Christian from Hira, and the suckling brother of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Bakas. And it was due to this relation that Saad brought him to Medina, where he would teach others how to read and write. He states that when I struck him with my sword, he made a mark of the cross in front of his eyes. Hazrat Abdullah's other brother was no less enraged by the martyrdom of his father, and no one was more furious than the mother of the believers, Hazrat Hafsa ta'ala anha. In any case, what they did was not permitted by the law, because no person has the authority to personally seek retribution and to take back their rights. Rather, the ultimate decision was left to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his successors, may Allah be pleased with him, after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. They would arbitrate justly among the people and would order for the criminals to be punished.
حکم صادر کر دیے گئے اس لیے عبید اللہ کا فرض تھا کہ جب انہیں اس حادث کا علم ہوا Therefore, when Hazrat Ubaidullah learned about this plot, which ultimately resulted in the loss of his father's life, he should have sought a decision from the leader of the faithful. And if this plot was proven to be true, then he would have ordered for them to be punished. And if this plot did not prove to be true, or if the leader of the faithful, i.e. the new Khalifa, had any doubt about it, then he would have issued a lighter punishment, or he would have decided that Abu Lolo alone was to be held responsible. In any case, what he did was not his lawful right. In short, it was not outside the realm of possibility for this to have been a premeditated plot, but owing to the circumstances of that time, it may not have been possible for Hazrat Usman anhu to conduct an investigation immediately. But regardless of the circumstances, The early historians are silent about this. However, there is a debate amongst the historians of today regarding this. And based on the circumstances of that time, there seems to be some validity to their arguments because the plot did not just end here. Rather, Hazrat Usman was also martyred as a result of a similar plot. This, in fact, further solidifies the point that in an attempt to halt the growing strength and victories of Islam, and in order to fulfill their burning desire for retribution, there were external forces who hatched a plot and martyred Hazrat Umar but Allah knows best. Then it is recorded in Sahih Muslim that Hazrat Ibn Umar narrates that I was with my father when he was attacked, and people praised him and said, Jazakallahu khaira, that may Allah the Almighty grant you the best reward. Upon this, Hazrat Umar replied, that I am hopeful but also afraid. The people asked him to appoint the next Khalifa and he stated that shall I bear your burden in this life and when I have passed away as well? I desire for my contributions to be equal in both, meaning neither should I be held responsible and nor should I receive any reward. If I were to appoint a successor, then this would be similar to he who was better than me, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr for he appointed a successor. Thus, even if he did, then there would be no harm in doing so. Hazrat Umar then stated, But if I were to leave you without appointing a successor, then you were also left without being appointed a successor by he who was better than me, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The second example he gave was that of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, who did not appoint his successor. Hazrat Abdullah then further states, that when he mentioned the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, I knew that he would not appoint a successor after him. In another narration recorded in Sahih Muslim, Hazrat Ibn Umar states that he went to Hazrat Hafsa anha, and she said that, Are you aware that your father will not appoint a successor after him? To this I replied that he will not do such a thing. Hazrat Hafsa replied that yes, he will do so. Hazrat Ibn Umar states, that I vowed that I would speak to Hazrat Umar anhu again, and I remained silent until the next morning and did not say anything to him. He states that I felt as if I was bearing the weight of a mountain because of this pledge I had taken. He then states that I returned and went to Hazrat Umar anhu, who asked about the state of the people, and I told him the various things people were saying, and I also mentioned that I have heard something in particular that people are saying. 
and I vow to tell you as well. And that is, that they think that you will not appoint a successor after you. The fact is, that if someone grazes your camels or shepherds your sheep, and then he comes to you and simply leaves them, then you would think that he has abandoned them. Similarly, protecting people is even more important than this. He further states that Hazrat Umar agreed with what I said and then looked down for a short while. He then looked up and turning towards me, he said that Allah, the Most High, will protect his faith. If I do not appoint a successor, then it will be similar to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, who also did not appoint a successor. And if I do appoint a successor, then it will be similar to Hazrat Abu Bakr who did appoint a successor. Upon this, Hazrat Ibn Umar, i.e. the son of Hazrat Umar stated that by God, when Hazrat Umar mentioned the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and Hazrat Abu Bakr, I knew that he would not hold anyone in the same esteem as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and thus he would not appoint a successor. Hazrat Miswar bin Makhrma relates that when Hazrat Umar was injured, he was experiencing extreme pain. And in order to try and reassure him, Hazrat ibn Abbas stated that, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, if the situation has come to this, then you have stayed in the company of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and were an excellent companion. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, departed in a state whereby he was happy with you. And thereafter you stayed in the company of Hazrat Abu Bakr and were an excellent companion to him. And he departed in a state whereby he was happy with you. Then you remained in the company of the companions and were an excellent support for them. And now if you depart from them, then indeed you will depart them in a state whereby they will be happy with you. Upon this, Hazrat Umar radiallahu replied, that you mentioned regarding the companionship with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and him being pleased with me is purely owing to the grace of Allah the Almighty. Then you mentioned regarding my companionship with Hazrat Abu Bakr, and him being pleased with me, and this was also owing to the grace of Allah the Almighty. And as for my state of concern, which you can see at present, is for you and your companions. For I am not worried about myself, but I am concerned for you and your companions. By God, even if I had an entire land worth of gold, I would indeed give it as fidya, i.e. charity, in order to save myself from Allah the Almighty's wrath. Then expounding upon the verse, amna, and that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace after their fear, Hazrat Muslim states, The Khulafa never had to face any such trial owing to which they had to experience fear. And if they did, then this was transformed into a state of peace by God Almighty. Undoubtedly, Hazrat Umar was martyred, but when one ponders over the historical facts, it becomes evident that Hazrat Umar did not have any fear of him being martyred. In fact, he would repeatedly pray that, O oh Allah, grant me the station of martyrdom, and that too in the city of Medina. Thus a person who spent his entire life praying to be granted the station of martyrdom in Medina, how could anyone possibly claim that he was made to experience fear at the time of his martyrdom? And the state of this fear was not transformed into a state of peace. If Hazrat Umar was fearful of being martyred and was then later martyred, then it could have been said that God did not transform the state of fear into peace. However, 
Hazrat Umar would pray that, O oh Allah, grant me the station of martyrdom in Medina. Thus, in light of the incident of his martyrdom, how could anyone claim that he feared being martyred? In fact, since he did not fear being martyred and would pray for it, and God Almighty accepted his prayer, it is therefore evident that according to this verse, he never experienced any kind of fear. And just as I've mentioned earlier, that this verse states that anything which the Khulafa have fear of can never occur. Moreover, it is the promise of Allah the Almighty that He shall give them in exchange security and peace after their fear. However, if one does not even fear something, rather considers it to be a means of his honour and elevating his rank, then it is futile to claim that he experienced fear and to ask why it's not transformed into a state of peace. This is a point which ought to be understood. Hazrat Muslim Allah further states that when I read this prayer of Hazrat Umar, I thought to myself that this means, in other words, that the enemy would have to attack Medina and the attack would be so intense that all the Muslims would be destroyed. Thereafter, the enemy would reach the Khalifa of the time and martyr him as well. However, Allah the Almighty accepted the prayer of Hazrat Umar but at the same time also created such means whereby the honour of Islam was safeguarded. Thus, instead of an external attack being launched on Medina, a wretched individual from within the city martyred him with a dagger. Then, whilst mentioning the Islamic teachings regarding the freeing of slaves, Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala has also mentioned the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar Ta'ala and the factors which led to it. Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala states that the first injunction is that one ought to free the slaves without seeking anything in return from them and simply do it as an act of kindness. And if one is unable to do this, then they should grant them freedom by taking something in recompense. And if even then there is a slave who neither has the means to acquire his freedom and nor does the government to whom he belongs to show any interest and his family members also show no concern, then in such a case he can give a notice to his owner and can acquire his freedom by fulfilling his payment through instalments. In other words, the prisoner who has been taken as a slave can fix his own instalments of payment. In such a scenario, apart from the amount for the instalments, the rest of his earnings will belong to him and he will be considered as a free man. In other words, he will pay his instalments from whatever he earns which has been fixed to acquire his freedom and the rest of his earnings will remain his own and this would be a form of freedom for him. Hazrat Umar was martyred by a similar kind of slave who had entered into an agreement to acquire his freedom. This slave had entered into an agreement with a Muslim man in whose possession he was in and asked him to fix a payment in monthly instalments according to his means, which he would gradually fulfill and thus acquire his freedom. Subsequently, he fixed a small sum of money which he began to pay. One day he complained to Hazrat Umar that his owner had fixed a very large amount of payment and asked for it to be reduced. Hazrat Umar assessed his income and found that his actual income was far higher than the amount of income which the instalments were based against. Upon this, Hazrat Umar stated that based on his actual income, this instalment was very little and cannot be reduced. The slave was extremely angered at this decision and felt that since he belonged to Iran, therefore the decision was issued against him and the decision had been made in favour of his owner, who was an Arab. 
And so, out of anger, he attacked Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala the very next day with a dagger, causing such injuries which led to his martyrdom. Hazrat Muslim radiallahu ta'ala further states that there are two things in the world which lead one astray from the right path. Either it is extreme malice or extreme love. At times, one harbours extreme malice over a very minor issue. Look at the time of Hazrat Umar in that such a small incident led to such a degree of malice that it ultimately caused a great harm to Islam and I feel that the repercussions of this incident are still felt to this day. Once, a case was brought before Hazrat Umar whereby someone's slave was earning far more than what he was paying to his owner to acquire his freedom. Hazrat Umar called this slave and said to him that he should pay his owner more. At that time, there were very few people who possessed a specialized skill. Hence, the blacksmiths and carpenters were greatly valued. The slave would build flour mills to grind wheat and would earn a good amount. And so, Hazrat Umar fixed three and a half anna, which he had to pay his owner. Now, this is a very small amount. However, he felt that Hazrat Umar had made a wrong decision and began to harbour malice in his heart against Hazrat Umar Once, Hazrat Umar asked him to make a millstone for him as well. Upon this, he replied, that I will build a millstone which will function very effectively. Upon hearing this response, someone said to Hazrat Umar that he was threatening him. This incident seems to be similar to the incident that was narrated earlier, or is the same one, but nevertheless it is referring to the same slave. Hazrat Umar stated that his words did not reflect that he was issuing a threat. In the earlier narration, Hazrat Umar himself stated that he had made a threat. In any case, the companion stated that his tone was such that he was making a threat. Following this, one day Hazrat Umar was offering his prayers, this slave attacked him with a dagger and martyred him. Hazrat Muslim Allah further writes, that Umar, who was the king of millions and rulers of a vast empire and among the best guides of the Muslims, was killed for a mere three and a half anna. But the fact of the matter is that whoever harbours enmity and rancour, they will not worry whether it is three and a half or two anna. They only wish to quench their thirst for vengeance. Their disposition becomes aligned in a way that they fuel their hatred. In such a condition, they do not see how their actions will affect themselves nor others. When Hazrat Umar's killer was asked why he committed such a heinous act, he replied that a verdict was passed against him, and so he took revenge. This particular detail has not been mentioned previously, but perhaps they had a short moment whilst they were capturing him, wherein he stated why he killed Hazrat Umar anhu, and after this he killed himself. Hazrat Muslim anhu further states that having mentioned this painful incident, I have stated before that this incident has had an effect on Islam even until today. Although death is always attached to man, however, one usually does not expect death to overcome them when one is strong and healthy. When one becomes weaker and their health declines, then people around them naturally become alert and begin to plan about the future. Although they do not speak about this matter between themselves, but a driving force is created that stimulates people to prepare for the future. For this reason, when a leader passes away, the people are vigilant and prepared. But since Hazrat Umar was strong and healthy, despite being 63 years old, the companions could not fathom that Hazrat Umar was soon to depart from among them. For this reason, they were completely unaware of how to prepare for the future 
when all of a sudden the trial of Hazrat Umar anhu's demise befell them. At that time, the community was not prepared to accept a new leader. And owing to this lack of preparation, the people did not develop that relationship with Hazrat Usman as they should have. And for this reason, Islam was in a fragile state. And in Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu's time, this condition became even more precarious. According to Hazrat Muslim anhu, this could also have been a reason for the dissension and discord which arose later on. Then during times of discord and conflict, it is necessary for a few people to stand guard. This is also mentioned by Hazrat Muslim in relation to the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar Hazrat Muslim states, There is a clear command of the Holy Qur'an that for the safety of the Muslims, half the people ought to remain on guard. And although this has been mentioned in relation to war, when a group of people need to be safeguarded. However, from this one can infer that in order to protect against a smaller trial, if a few people stand guard during prayers, then this is not objectionable. Rather, this will be a necessary procedure. Hazrat Muslim further states, If in times of war, 500 people out of 1,000 can stand guard, then at times when there is little danger, can 5 or 10 people out of 1,000 not stand guard? To say that there is no active danger is a futile argument. What happened with Hazrat Umar He was leading the prayers, and whilst the other Muslims were also occupied in prayer, a wretched individual thought this to be a perfect opportunity to attack. And so he stepped forward and struck with his dagger. If, after this incident, someone says that standing guard during the prayers is contrary to its principles and sanctity, in other words, contrary to the principles and sanctity of the prayer, then such an individual only exposes his own ignorance. The example of such a person is like that of a foolish one who enters a battlefield, and when an arrow hits that person, blood begins to pour out, as a result of which he runs away, wiping away the blood, and saying, O oh Allah, please let this be a dream, and not really an arrow that has struck me. In history, we find an incident in which the companions did not take the necessary safety precautions, as a result of which they suffered greatly. When Hazrat Amr bin Alas went for the conquest of Egypt and he had conquered the area, he would lead the prayers and there would be no guards on patrol. When the enemy saw that during this time, or yet prayer times, the Muslims are completely oblivious, subsequently they organized a day in which they sent a few hundred men fully armed precisely at a time when the Muslims were in prostration. And as soon as they arrived, they began severing the heads of the Muslims. Historical accounts show that on this day, hundreds of companions were either killed or injured. One after another, they would fall to the ground, and this continued on. The people around them could not comprehend what was going on until the Muslims had suffered greatly. When Hazrat Umar learned of this incident, he admonished them, saying, that Were you not aware that you ought to have ensured for guards on patrol? But little did Hazrat Umar know that the same incident would take place with him whilst he would be in Medina. After this incident, the companions ensured that during the prayers there would always be people on guard. With regards to Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu's debt, I have mentioned about it previously as well. 
The further details regarding this are that Hazrat Umar who inquired about his debt from his son. And he had stated that Abdullah bin Umar, go and see how much debt is it that I owe. And when he checked, the total amounted to 86,000 dirhams. Hazrat Umar said that, O Abdullah, if the wealth of Umar's family is enough to pay for this, then pay my debt from there. But if this is insufficient, then ask from the Banu Adi bin Kaab. And if they are also not able to pay it off, then ask from the Quraysh, but do not ask anyone else. The companions knew that their leader, who lived a modest and simple life, never accumulated this enormous debt owing to spending on himself. They knew full well that this money was spent on the poor and needy, and that is why he ended up in debt. It was for this reason that Abdul Rahman bin Nov stated to Hazrat Umar anhu, and why do you not take this amount from the treasury and pay off your debt? Hazrat Umar replied, that heaven forbid, do you wish that after I am gone, you and your companions say, that you left your own portion for the sake of Umar? You will be able to console me now, but after me there will be such a situation that I will not be able to escape from. Hazrat Umar then said to his son, Abdullah bin Umar, that take on the responsibility of paying my debt. Thus, he accepted this responsibility. And Hazrat Umar had not yet been buried when his son called some members of the Shura, a consultative body, and a few Christians as witnesses regarding his responsibility for paying the debt. And after the burial of Hazrat Umar, the Friday had not passed when Abdullah bin Umar took the amount owed and went to Hazrat Usman and he fulfilled this responsibility in the presence of a few witnesses. With regards to Hazrat Umar repaying his debt, there is another narration mentioned in Wafa'ul Wafa. Hazrat Ibn Umar narrates that when Hazrat Umar anhu's demise was imminent, he owed some debt. Hazrat Umar anhu called Hazrat Abdullah and Hazrat Hafsa and stated that I owe some money from the wealth given to me by Allah and I wish to meet Allah the Almighty in a state whereby I will be free from debt. Thus, in order to pay off this debt, sell this house, the house in which he resided, and if there is still something left to pay, then ask from the Banu Adi. And if even then there is an outstanding amount, then ask from the Quraysh, but do not ask anyone else. After the demise of Hazrat Umar anhu, Hazrat Abdullah went to Hazrat Muawiyah, who purchased the house, and this house was known as Darul Qaza. Hazrat Abdullah sold the house and paid off Hazrat Umar anhu's debt. And for this reason, this house became known as Darul Qaza, Qazai Daini Umar. That is, the house with which Hazrat Umar anhu's debt was paid. There are accounts remaining, and inshallah, I will continue to narrate them in the future. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmudu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'khfiru wa na'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'uzu billahi min shurure anfusina wa min sayyati amalina man yadihillahu falamudillahu وَمَنْ يُذْلِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ 